Hello and welcome to WRI's Big Ideas Into Action podcast. And in this episode, it's all about the circular economy and how we can make a difference on climate change through thinking more about how we use stuff. From houses to cars to the clothes we're wearing to electronics, plastics, etc. So how do we do this and what are the circular opportunities with climate mitigation, with clean energy and with adaptation? If we, through a circular system, can increase the use of secondary materials, we reduce the pressure on natural systems and preserve ecosystems. Hello, I'm Nicholas Walton and welcome to the podcast. Tackling climate change and its impacts is complex and multifaceted and involves everything from simply reducing the fossil fuel emissions in energy generation through to looking at agricultural land use. And then there's the role of the circular economy in making a decisive impact on tackling climate change. That's the subject of a new report led by the Platform for Accelerating the Circular Economy, or PACE, titled Circular Economy as a Climate Strategy, Current Knowledge and Calls to Action. Keir Wang is the Programme Director for PACE, which is hosted by WRI in our Netherlands office. The point paper is really to explain how and where circular economy can contribute to managing climate change. Uh, we still have a huge emission gap. So even if all the measures in the current pledges, current national targets are achieved, there will still be a big emission gap by 2030. So that means we need to do something else, right? So where the evidence is, is strong, where there's consensus, how can, how can this be translated into actions? for policymakers, for business, for NGOs, etc. Circularity is not the end goal, right? We're not aiming to get circular for the sake of being circular, but it's really a means towards a better planet, better people, and climate change is one of those uh, impact categories. And the the IPCC, the the quite famous uh, uh, international panel on climate change, uh, in their 2022 report, they actually included circular economy as a new additional climate strategy. The paper looks specifically at three different areas in which this this can happen. Uh, You have adaptation, you have mitigation, and you have the clean energy transition. Kick off with that big question of mitigation. Where does the uh, circular economy fit into the concept of mitigating climate change? Right. So by mitigation, basically, it it says, you know, how can we avoid even more drastic climate change? Right. So, So that boils down to reducing greenhouse gas emission. And if then we look at where do all the emissions come from today, we'll see that about half of them come from our energy use. So the electricity we use for our appliances, the energy we use to heat and cool the house, the fuel we use to to power our cars and planes, etc. So so I think that part we're all quite familiar with, right? And there are lots of things being done to reduce emissions from these energy use. But the other half of the global greenhouse gas comes from making the stuff we use every day. So from houses to cars to the clothes we're wearing to electronics, plastics, etc. So to produce these materials and products emit a lot of greenhouse gas uh, in the process. And then it also comes from uh, how our food is produced. So next to energy, there's all the stuff and the food. So it's the second half uh, which circular economy looks at. It looks at how can we reduce demand for new products and virgin materials and therefore also cut the emission coming from producing these materials and products. 
Was there anything in this that jumped out at you and surprised you or made you really feel as though progress was happening in areas that you hadn't even predicted? Maybe one thing that might be a bit surprising, uh, not just to me, but for, to many people uh, interested in circular economy, is that very often people think about recycling, right? People talk about circular economy, people, lots of people think it's waste management and recycling. Actually, if we look at the potential to reduce greenhouse gas, of course, recycling can reduce that, but it is not the most important uh, strategy. So it is really changing consumption behavior and changing the way we design products. Uh, they have a much higher potential than recycling in greenhouse gas reduction. My name is Garvin Heath. I work at the National Renewable Energy Laboratory in the United States, NREL for short. Garvin Heath was one of the paper's co-authors, looking especially at the role of the circular economy in the clean energy transition. Circular economy could be very critical to the clean energy transition in terms of helping to secure a a stable and less environmentally destructive material supply chain. The anticipated growth in especially power generation renewable technologies is tremendous. It's already been growing exponentially and it's expected to continue even more so, not only because clean electricity generation technologies we anticipate will be displacing those with carbon emissions, but also because the other sectors, transportation, buildings, industry, are expected to be electrified, which then grows the power sector even further. So the material supplies for providing for that growth, anticipated growth in clean electricity generation technologies is tremendous, and circular economy will be a critical strategy to ensuring that we have those materials and we, we have them in, in ways that have less burden on, on the climate than today. And, and what's the biggest challenge that's being faced? Is it, is it new materials that are having to be sourced to, for instance, build the batteries, the solar panels, etc., of, of the future? And as you say, the, 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 the growth in the sector, not just in the efficiency of the materials, is, is exploding. Yeah, it is. There are concerns already that the kind of growth that's anticipated will be at risk without a serious look at how we get those materials. It's the availability, but it's also then the environmental impacts and other social and economic impacts that result from our linear economies, take, make waste approach. You know, how much more mining can we withstand to reach the amount of materials that we need for some of these products? So circular economy is really being looked at not only for just the material supply, but on the same designs of of the technologies, but of course, also looking at redesign. How can we redesign these technologies so that they might use less intensively materials or substitute materials that have lower demands or are, are in greater abundance? And then eventually these technologies, although they last For instance, photovoltaic modules last typically 30 years or so with warranted performance guarantees and very similar, you know, decadal amounts of time for wind. So they're they're fairly long-lived assets, but eventually they do reach the end of where they need to be retired. And if we can support systems, both policy and with technology and logistics to enable reuse, um, to enable repair, to enable a lifetime extension, and then finally as a backstop to enable recycling so that we don't um, lose those materials um, from this generation of technology and can recover those materials or products, keep them in circulation with higher value for longer to help support the continued expansion 
looking at the different materials that will be needed as we produce more batteries, more solar panels, etc. Do you think that legislators, politicians are actually aware of the, the complications that this might cause? I, I would say that the policymakers in, in various roles do have an awareness of, of this. I can cite an example in the United States, the recently passed inflation, so-called Inflation Reduction Act, which actually is um, one of our first and certainly largest industrial policy aimed at climate um, change mitigation and adaptation, that that legislation has foreseen that there are going to be some challenges so they're doing a few different things. Um, one is support recycling industries in particular. Less emphasis, unfortunately, on, on other circular economy strategies, but um, certainly an opportunity to do more in the future. Um, but recycling in particular has gotten attention and an awareness, driven by an awareness that there is a need to secure, um, especially domestic um, supplies, and we don't want to be wasteful with these materials that are quite valuable and will be the engine for the realization of the growth of the decarbonization mitigation strategies that, that we have. Are you optimistic that things will start to incorporate the circular economy sort of mindset, systemic approach as we develop new sources of, of, of energy? Absolutely, I am hopeful. I, I don't think being hopeful means that we don't need to take some actions and work towards this goal with continuing consultation and technical assistance to policymakers and other decision makers, whether in the government sphere or private sector. It will be obviously a change from the, the linear economy-based system that we have. And so during this phase of transition, it's not going to come easily and it's not going to come quickly. But we do have an opportunity with, I think, a growing awareness amongst different levels of, of stakeholders in different sectors to make this change. Garvin Heath of the National Renewable Energy Laboratory in the US. You're listening to WRI's Big Ideas Into Action podcast in this episode, looking at how the circular economy can help to avert the climate crisis. So we've heard about two of the areas covered by the WRI working paper led by PACE, mitigation and the clean energy transition. And now for the third, adaptation. So yeah, my name is Patrick Schroeder. I'm a senior research fellow at uh, Chatham House. Generally in climate change adaptation, people tend to distinguish um, what they call ecosystems-based adaptation and community-based adaptation. Actually, circular economy contributes to both of these. And in the report, we try to provide a few examples of what happens actually already, and also some of the potentials that have not yet been fully explored. C can you explain exactly what you mean by those two different forms of adaptation? Community-based adaptation is very much about building human capacity, supporting uh, human resilience, uh, really, to, to be able to deal and cope with impacts of climate change. On a very basic level, it's linked to waste management often plastic. So as we've seen already in many cases, cities that have poor waste management, basically where, where lots of rubbish clutters drains and also where there's a lot of plastic, for example, floating on waterways in, in urban areas. So these cities are much more prone to flooding during heavy rainfall. And as we know, those heavy or extreme weather events is already happening as a result of climate change. So a circular economy solution here is about reducing the amount of waste that's in the cities. That can be done, obviously, by recycling, 
in many cases also improving collection systems, which often are not available. So that's very much about a link between circular economy and a community-based adaptation approach. In that case, community is is broader, really looking at a city level. So the the other other form of adaptation is ecosystems-based adaptation. Normally, these are strategies that improve biodiversity or or generally the ecosystem services, and then that also helps uh, human society to adapt. So, for example, protecting mangroves, mangrove forests in coastal areas, these have proven to be really important to reduce flooding events. So how, how this links to the circular economy is in the circular economy, what we aim for is actually um, a reduction of uh, the use of primary materials. Primary materials then lead to destruction of ecosystems and, and loss of biodiversity. So if we, through a circular system, can increase the use of uh, secondary materials through reuse and repair, recycling, etc., we reduce the pressure on um, natural systems, preserve ecosystems, so that's then a positive contribution to ecosystem-based adaptation. So is the lesson there, is, is it that if you use fewer primary materials, then you're less likely to degrade ecosystems, thereby you'll help adaptation to the impacts of climate change? Or is it a case of looking for specific examples, such as mangroves, where something is being taken out of an ecosystem and degrading that system, and then finding ways to, in a sense, work around it in terms of technology, business model, whatever, in a circular way, and thereby help adaptation? Yeah, that, that makes sense. As part of the circular economy, what we also include generally are approaches such as regenerative agriculture or, or agroforestry. And these approaches then work with ecosystems and help to, in the case, for example, of soil, these practices then also improve soil carbon, which is then important for soil health, also the, the water holding capacity uh, for nutrient cycling, and again, that increases then also the resilience against both intense rainfall and drought. That then in turn also helps communities affected by climate change to continue food production, yeah, maintain both the community resilience and the ecosystem functions that, that are being provided. So what has to change to bring about these improvements in circularity? Uh, and, and who is it that actually holds the levers? Is it companies? Is it authorities? Is it consumers and their behaviour? What, what do you think are, are the key bits here? Yeah, this is a, this is a big question, a good question. So in a way, uh, it involves all the stakeholders that you just mentioned. For example, businesses need to change the way they organise their value chains. They need to enable the reverse logistics, increase the amount of secondary resources they use, introduce also sustainable or circular product design. Uh, Consumers obviously play a role as well in terms of different types of behaviours. And we think the, the agency of consumers is a bit limited in this. And what we then often highlight is the role of government. I mean, what we've done at Chatham House, for instance, we, we're tracking the national policies that government are implementing. We've identified over 500 policies and we see an increasing uptake of such policies, such as extended producer responsibility, but also new product design standards, 
circular economy action plans or roadmaps, plus the wider stakeholders um, initiate. So this government-led approach is, is really key to drive this on a systems level. In addition to that, then obviously, on the international multilateral level, there also needs to be coordination. Some form of coordination is happening in the context of plastics, for example. Governments are now negotiating the Global Plastics Treaty. It's um, expected to be completed by the end of 2024. And we also see in the climate negotiations increasingly mention of uh, circular economy. So at the COP last year in Glasgow, there were a number of events which um, highlighted the interlinkage between climate change and, and circularity. And with this report that we now produced, which will also be presented at COP, we hope to also close the knowledge gap about these um, solutions, which need to be scaled up and yeah, adopted more widely. That was Patrick Schroeder of Chatham House in Britain. Now back to Ke Wang of PACE, the platform for the acceleration of the circular economy. I asked her about the role of consumers in driving the changes we've heard about so far and how that varies across the globe in economies as different as, for instance, the Philippines, Brazil or France. Where does consumption fit in alongside other drivers? Yeah, there are many, many different aspects which will require different drivers, right? I think on the integration, integrating circularity into clean energy value chains, that's a relatively straightforward one because uh, the material pressure is already felt by the industry. So there, I think, is about bringing the value chain players together to develop a common vision and find out how to do that. So that's an example of where it's relatively straightforward and the lower hanging fruit. Uh, shifting consumption might be on the other end. It has huge potential and it is really at the root of the problem. But it's less obvious of what can be done to really shift consumption behavior at a scale. So we often talk about consumer awareness, consumer information, consumer campaign. I think that is all very important, but that alone won't be enough. We cannot count on you know, every citizen just to, to be so well informed about what is good and a bad for planet and they change their behavior every day accordingly. I think, as you mentioned earlier, we need business model shifts. Uh, we also need policy nudge and we might even need to look deeper into our economic system, which has been so far been really powered by high production and high consumption rates. We also need to be aware of the geographical differences. Uh, we need to be aware that there are a lot of people in this on this planet who are still under consuming. Right? So when, when we say reducing overconsumption, we're really looking at uh, the higher income populations instead of talking about it in a general way. Are you hopeful that um, circular economy will, will play this enhanced role in these three areas, in, the, in these critical fights against the challenge of, of climate change that you've been uh, putting together in this paper? Yeah, surely. Uh, certainly. I think uh, we're, we're always hopeful, right? Uh, I think I think the, the awareness on the urgency of climate change has been increasing. And, and it, it is very clear there's broad consensus that, you know, we need to act urgently. We need to act more. I'm also glad to see there is consensus, uh, maybe it might be qualitative consensus, but there is clear consensus in the knowledge co community on how the company can contribute to this. But we need to find the right incentives. We need to build the right partnerships to really turn uh, this knowledge into, into action and progress. 
And that was Keir Wang of Pace, ending this podcast on the new paper, Circular Economy as a Climate Strategy, Current Knowledge and Calls to Action. If you want to find out more and read the paper, go to their website, www.pacecircular.org, or their Twitter feed, at Pace Circular, where you'll be able to track down their recommendations for nine ways the circular economy can help to avert the climate crisis. If you've the appetite for more podcasts on everything from the ocean to cities and from food to climate finance in Fiji, go to wri.org slash podcasts. I'm Nicholas Walton, and thanks for listening.